You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach. NBA color analyst with the Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm Jeff Phelps. Mike, we're 32 games into this season, 50 to go. Where is a team supposed to be at this point of the season? And I'll go back to a guy that I always thought had a really interesting philosophy from another sport. It was Bud Grant, who was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And I always remember he said, I want my team, and this makes sense, of course, for every team, I want my team to be playing its best football at the end of the regular season. That's what I want them to be their absolute best. So he kind of took it easy in training camp and they kind of built things up. And that made sense to me. As long as you were able to win enough games as you're building it up so that you don't, you know, mess yourself up down the road because then you're out of it because you weren't quite there yet. So if you're an NBA team, where are you supposed to be 32 games in? Going going gangbusters at your absolute best? Are you still tweaking? Are you still looking for rotations? What do you think is the optimum position to be in? Well, what you said about Bud Grant in Minnesota was very accurate, and there's a lot to read into that. Yes, you can say that if you're Bud Grant, knowing that you have an incredible football team with veteran guys yeah. They understand the importance of winning games at the right time. Other teams don't have and didn't have the luxury that Bud Grant had and that fight, those Viking teams that he coached had because in a basketball season, if you say, well, we want to play our best down the last third or the last quarter of the NBA season, the last quarter of an NBA season is the final 20 or 21 games. That's great, except – In the first three quarters, you may have eliminated yourself from any hope of making the playoffs. So I think you have to win enough along the way to keep yourself in contention for whatever you think your team should be. Every team shouldn't be a 60-win team. Those only come along once every so often. Every team is not a 50-win team. But knowing what your team is and knowing what the rest of the league is about you should have an understanding of how many games you probably can win with your team. And now, as you go through the first half, the first three quarters of the season, what do you want to do down the stretch? And where are you in the standings at that point? Have you lost too much ground that you can't make it up? Or you're right where you want to be that if you finish strong and go 16 and four down the stretch or 15 and five down the stretch? that you're going to be in great shape for the playoffs and maybe have home court advantage. So how do you balance that out, Mike? 
You know, we talked about JV Bickerstaff, and he's he's really playing eight guys right now. Maybe goes nine deep on a given night, and it's it's working beautifully. You know, they're twenty one and eleven as we speak. On the other hand, you want to, and other teams are doing you know similar types of things. On the other hand, you want to be fresh, and you want you know you want to have guys not be absolutely gassed around the All Star break. So how do you how do you balance that? Are there certain nights that you do certain different things, or is there a strategy involved as you as you're plotting out at the beginning of the season, or you just going night by night? I think you look at the schedule and you see, okay, where are we now in this week of the season? Are we playing how many back to back games are we playing this week? How many three and four nights are we playing? Remember, in the old days, I'll call it, you played four and five nights. Yeah. And one of the first things you looked at when you got your schedule was how many four and five nights do we have this year? Back-to-backs were, you were somewhere between 18 and 22 or 23 back-to-backs on your schedule back aways. Much and more now, common. Yeah. yeah. And now, you you know, the thing has been spread out and the days in between a little bit easier sometimes. And you have that week off at All-Star break, which we never had before. You went away. You played a game on Thursday night, some teams, and All-Star weekend started on Friday the next day. And then you finished on Sunday with the All-Star game. You went back to practice on Monday. Teams opened up on Tuesday again with the first game. Well, it's not that way anymore because of the week that they've negotiated in the Players Association contract. But looking at each week, looking at the schedule, looking at the amount of travel, you kind of figure out what you can get out of them, what you would expect out of them. Every once in a while, you're surprised, a good surprise. Every once in a while, you're disappointed because it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. Mike, let's take a look at the Cavaliers starting five and how they've done through 32 games. And we'll start with the guy who's the newcomer in Donovan Mitchell. The thing that I think is the most impressive thing about Donovan and, you know, the Cavs just played the Utah Jazz, his old team. He had an easy 23 minutes for an easy 23 points. The Cavs didn't need him to go nuts. The thing that's impressed me the most is how he's just come in and I think pretty seamlessly, pretty effortlessly has become, you know, the 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 main guy on this team while being accepted and embraced by everybody else. I, I don't know if I, you know, it, it's tough to recall a guy going in that seamlessly into such a big role on a team that's having such success. I, I give him a lot of credit. I give the entire organization a lot of credit for that. I think it comes because of communication, because of the character of the players on the team. I think Donovan handled everything beautifully when he came in from the first press conference he had the respect that he showed for his teammate, the respect he showed for the organization, the respect for what they had done a year ago. And now here he comes, he's being added to the mix. And what can he add to take this team to the next level? And he didn't try and go out there and take 35 or 40 shots a night. He tried to fit in with an all-star, very young backcourt partner who he knows is very talented and very good. But how do I fit in here? So both of them had to be willing to acquiesce to the other one. There was a play in the game against Utah where the quarter was ending and Darius had the ball in his hand 
and Donovan came like running around behind him or towards going behind him where it looked like he wanted Darius to give him the ball. And Darius kind of motioned him off like, I've got it. They played out the shot clock. Three, two, one. Darius hits a jump shot. Quarter's over. And as they walked off the floor, the two players were together, mm-hmm. Darius and Donovan. And I'm not a lip reader, but <laughs> looking at Darius and what he was saying, I thought to Donovan was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wave you off. I thought I had it. And Donovan's reaction was, no, no, don't worry about it. You, you had it going. You keep it going. Don't worry about that. So he was saying, there'll be plenty of times for me. You felt it. You thought you had it going. You kept it. You made the shot. That's what it's all about. So that's the camaraderie. That's the trust. That's the togetherness that you have to have to make a team successful. The bonding effort that they get out there. With Garland, Mike, I I would think it might even be more challenging on Darius to accept a guy coming in than it was for Darius to be that guy coming in. And Darius made an all-star team last year and really took a a personal jump in his game, in his level of play, in his recognition around the league, Mike, which, as we all know, is pretty important to to guys for the most part in this day and age. And even with all this, Darius is averaging 20.7 points a game and eight assists per game, which I think is is pretty impressive the way that that those numbers have been maintained pretty pretty comparable to what he did last year while bringing somebody else in and knowing that that guy is going to be a real focal part of the team maybe taking some of that spotlight off of you i i think it's a big credit to him before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the stanley cup final on abc and espn plus begins saturday i think first of all you have to understand that this team gets along very, very well. The chemistry is very good, and they all seem to have a common goal. And the common goal is to coexist, coexist and get better, coexist, get better, and win a lot of basketball games. I heard on a show today, and I understand, Jeff, that radio shows have to come up with topics to talk about. And they shouldn't have listen to, have, to that stuff. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to have people that are going to call in and have a response to the question. Sure. But the topic was, whose team is this? Is it Donovan Mitchell's team, Darius Garland's team, or is it Mobley's team? And whose team will it be two years down the road? And I thought it was such an irrelevant discussion other than the fact that the radio show had to have something to talk about during the time because the players know whose team it is. Do we have to say this team is so-and-so's team? They show you by who they throw the ball to at the end of games. They show you by who the coach 
calls the plays for in critical moments is Mobley. Is this Mobley's team? Of course not. He's not ready for it to be his team yet. Could it be his team? Yeah. But Maybe. if you ask Mobley, and if he was totally honest, which I think he would be, he would say, no, I'm, I'm just here to do my part to fill in where I have to fill and rebound and blocking shots, playing defense, getting a couple buckets here and there, get maybe 15, 17 points a game. I would think that if you polled the team and if they were totally honest, they would say this is Donovan Mitchell's team right now. That doesn't mean that Darius isn't going to have big games, huge games, where he's the reason why they won because Donovan had a bad night. But right now, Donovan Mitchell is the most experienced, proven guy on this team. Who on this team has had 50 points in a playoff game other than Donovan Mitchell? Not easy to do. That tells you when it's crunch time, when you're when the game is online, you have to win a game and you want a guy to step up big, this guy can do it. How valuable is that experience for Evan Mobley? Mike, and, and being around a guy like that, watching team success, watching a guy lead like that, as opposed to maybe not having a guy like Mitchell here and being force fed and said, OK, hey, we need we need 22, 23 game out of you. Can his development be enhanced by, by having a guy like Mitchell here and watching that success, watching the way he handles it? Because Evan's still so, so young and, and has such an NBA career ahead of him. I thought there were games in the last week or so where Evan stepped up his game, where he did more. He was more assertive. I don't want to use the word aggressive, but more assertive. It looked like he got the message that we need you to do a little bit more. We need you to be a little more productive because of whatever the reasons might be. And so much of that, Jeff, comes down to the assistant coaches where you have assistant coaches assigned to certain players, and their job is to get the message across because the player might have a special relationship with one assistant over another assistant, and the head coach sees that and is smart enough to say, you are in charge of Mobley, and you are the one who's going to communicate our messages to Mobley because he trusts you, he believes in you, and you do a good job with him. So that assistant coach's job is to work with him before practice, after practice, whenever they have those types of situations, and to convince Evan Mobley why you're a terrific player in this league and how you become that much better just by doing these certain things. You go into a game and you, hey, tonight, you're up against a tough hombre tonight. This guy's going to hit you. He's going to hold you. He's going to try and frustrate you. You can't lose your cool. You have to understand that's who this guy is. That's what he's all about. That's how he's lasted in the league 10 or 12 years. You play your game. You keep your concentration. Don't let him get you out of whack because that's what he's trying to do. And those types of things, those relationships between assistant coaches and players are so important to the development and progress of individuals.